fabulous. Okay. All right. Thank you. We're going to play some musical chairs this morning. Donna, Mary, Helen, you guys are our first contestants. Come on up. Give it up for Donna, Mary, Helen. There we go. We're going to have a conversation with these guys this morning. You can ask them any question you want. No, that's not how it's going to go. Uh, yeah. uh, you guys know how I have talked about that the best thing you can do for me to encourage me in my faith is to lead an extraordinary Christian life. Anybody remember that? couple people, all right. So there's some listening. <laughs> Thank you, Brian. There's some listening happening while I'm preaching. I appreciate that. So uh, here are two examples of people who, at least in my opinion, have really dedicated their lives to living the way of Christ, giving themselves uh, fully. So I'm uh, putting them on a, uh, on a platform here, literally. Uh, which uh, nobody, nobody loves if they're really trying to be authentic about their faith. Uh, but these guys are just too good. So, you know, we're going we're gonna to pull them up here. <laughs> um, let's start with just a quick introduction. Um, you know, this is Don Mary Helen Pisig, so not your names necessarily, but what you do. And, okay. yeah. yeah, I'm a full-time servant of the Lord Jesus Christ, and I run a little heating and air conditioning business to pay for it. Uh-huh. Uh, Mary Helen, yeah. And I'm, uh, Mary Helen, um, I got to say, I started at home with that gorgeous redhead that stands up here. Um, that was my life yeah. at the beginning. And then, one step at a time, I've now become the chaplain at Highland Mountain Correction Center. Yeah, yeah. Um, so I don't know if you noticed how Don introduced himself, but... I don't know. How long have you guys been coming to Awaken? I'm chronologically years, challenged. I maybe. think about six or seven. Yeah. You were, so. f you were 40. You just turned 40. Oh. <laughs> so only one year then. <laughs> that's it. And so that's weird that you remember that. Um, all right. Let's get back on topic here. <laughs> so... I had, early on, I had Don speak, and he introduced himself that way, and I thought, oh, that's just a funny way to kind of introduce yourself, and, you know, really, he's a uh, plumber, HVAC guy, and he likes to, he likes to preach, so we, we let him preach, uh, but then, over the years of getting to know these guys and watching their lives and, and hearing stories and just seeing how they operate, I realized that's actually true, the way that he introduces himself is actually true. That's how it works uh, for him. He is a minister of Christ that pays for it by being a plumber. And so, uh, anyways, I just think they're uh, an incredible example. That's why I, I have them up here. Uh, so I'm going to ask them some questions uh, that they are prepared for, and then some questions that they're not. But uh, we'll start with this first one. So without using any Christian cliches, can you describe how your decision to give your life to Jesus and his mission have affected your life? So I say without using Christian cliches because I want them to be real about 
you know, what has this thing been like? We talk a lot about giving your life to Christ around here, and it's sort of theory until you try it, right? These are folks who have been trying it for a while. And so, you know, give us a report. Uh, you know, how has your decision to give your life to Jesus and his mission affected your life? So I'm not sure which one of you wants to go first, but go for it. Yeah. <laughs> she points at me. Yeah, yeah out there. Yeah. Yeah, well, I, I prayed to receive Jesus in 1974, and I was real serious. And I um, tried to make it to where what I chose to do was be stuff that Jesus would be pleased with. And uh, I always invited him to take part in everything, and I would try to assess my skill set and figure out what I could do for Jesus and, and invite him to be in my efforts to reach other people, whatever. And it was, I was very serious about it. But after 16 years of that, I discovered I never did make Jesus a follower of me. Um, and... Uh, through some hard times, he got a hold of me in a new way. And uh, through that, I actually became a follower of Jesus. I discovered that Jesus is on task. He's, he's busy doing important God stuff. And he's inviting his followers to be part of that. Now, Jesus does scary things. He, he loves unlovable people. And he does not look at our skill set as a prerequisite as to who he invites to do what. I learned that he speaks through opportunities and through circumstances in many different ways he's God. And it's up to me to ask, okay, Lord, what you just showed me, was, was that really from you or is this just a circumstance that is, you know, whatever? Are you inviting me to join you? And I've tried to make it a habit of saying yes and again, he does scary things, so. Um, when I was about seven is when I prayed with my mother to receive Jesus into my heart because she said that's what he wanted me to do, so that's what I did. Uh, it wasn't until that same uh, difficult circumstance uh, that I learned that uh, I want to follow Jesus, but also uh, the idea of relationship and when I lost hope in everything else, uh, my hope was not in what's going to happen, how he's going to bless me, what he's going to make my life look like. My hope was in who God is. And then I can trust him when I may not be able to trust anything else. And so that's how one step at a time, trusting in who God is and answering his one thing at a time, uh, I ended up where I'm at now. Mm -hmm. uh, <clears throat> Hopefully you're picking up some wisdom here in the way they're responding to some of these, uh, to these questions and as they, as they chat. Um, I think most of the folks out there, if not everybody, is they're doing like a cost-benefit analysis right now. Right? They're, they're wondering... <clears throat> Is this Jesus thing, is it really something to devote myself fully to? Um, like that's, when we come together, that's, you know, you get a challenge, some sort of spiritual challenge, and then as you're sitting there receiving it, right, that's the process you go through, right? Like, am I going to do this? Am I going to respond to this thing? 
And the thing we're talking about this morning, at least in this interview here, is uh, the idea of just giving yourself fully. You've given up a lot of things in life. Uh, you've, you know, you've not pursued a lot of other things, right? I mean, you, you're in, you're at Highland Correctional for 40 hours a week. You spend a lot of your, most of your extra time that you have in the prisons, ministering, you know, giving your life to people. So, you know, is it, is it worth it? And how do you, how would you defend that? Like, is it worth it to do that? Like, what, what is it that makes it worth it? Okay. Well, what I've discovered from becoming a Jesus follower is that there, the, the real benefit is that when I join Jesus in his radical plan, when, he, when I join him in the scary things that he invites me to do, it's like I get to tangibly walk with Jesus. I never, never really got to know Jesus during the first 16 years of studying and everything, learning about him and trying to create a love for him. But until I really actually walked with him and got to watch him do Jesus things, um, I never really knew him intimately. And so out of just walking with him, doing, his, doing what's important to him, um, has grown this amazing relationship with Jesus that I could not ever see anything better. In fact, that's where I discover life. Everything else is, you know, I have all kinds of uh, self-desires, interests, and everything else that I think will fulfill myself. Nothing has ever fulfilled my, the longings of my heart, the, the, the dreams, the ambition, anything like that that I have of self, it just all falls short. But being with Jesus is the greatest thing that I know, and I will follow him wherever would follow him wherever he would choose to lead me. I would rather be in hell with him than here without him. That's a high level of passion. Is that developed over time, yeah? Uh, yeah, it actually, when I, I, I discovered that, when, when, I, when I started following Jesus in a radical plan, it came on quick then. Just, just to know the Lord intimately is is the biggest thing in life it's it's what i wish for everybody to know um bouncing off of that i've been trying to memorize that scripture that um all things were created through him and for him so we get the idea that that hope that we talked about um is the, the purpose, rather than just bouncing around in life, we all have a ministry, uh, and we find that purpose in Christ. Um, one of the things that uh, we used to have a friend that said, if that doesn't uh, light your fire, your wood's wet. Uh, <laughs> one of the things that would light my fire is listening to women get it. Oh, you know, nobody loves me. Well, really? How much does God love you? Oh, he gave his son for me. Yeah, think about that. Uh, 
so those kind of things, going in, I did a story, going into the one, of, one of the places when the women first come in to uh, uh, the institution, some of them are detoxing, uh, it, all different levels that they're at, but one telling me that this other one led her to Christ, and that one saying, well, it's her, you know, she's the one that showed me Jesus, and so finding, seeing somebody get it, that's the passion of seeing somebody receive life, not existence, but life, and um, being able to encourage them in that direction, no matter what we're doing in our life. We like to see others do well, and that's a big deal, is to see others do well, and that's what lights my fire. Yeah, okay. That's the, yeah, the, the motivating factor behind it. Uh, how did you guys get involved in doing prison ministry? Didn't just wake up one, or, you know, did you just wake up one morning and go, oh, I'm pretty sure God wants me to do this, or how, how did that work? Well, in the year 2000, uh, a, a guy that I knew, a, a friend of mine, he had uh, been a chaplain at um, um, Anchorage Jail. And uh, he said to me, he says, I need somebody to come in and do a church service weekly there. Um, would you consider it? And I prayed about it, and I felt God said yes. Um, I didn't have a real passion to go in, in prisons. Um, I, it, it's not, not like me, I'm pretty judgmental, but I, um, I followed Jesus there and, uh, um, got to see him work in amazing ways. Um, so anyway, it's just, when I get to see Jesus work, doing what he does, transforming lives, um, it, it, it changes me. I get to watch people, okay. There's no throwaways. As long as somebody has breath, God has a plan for them. Whether they accept or reject, that's up to them. They're, that's their prerogative. But, but Jesus has this amazing plan, and I've got to see him rescue some people that I would have thrown away in a very judgmental way. Um, yeah. So you didn't go into this, like, perfect, huh? Oh, my. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> should, should I go there? Well, in the first service, he, I asked him to share. Give me an example of your judgmental thoughts. And he did. Uh, I assume this was a rapist that you were dealing with. In this yeah, case. there was somebody that uh, did unspeakable things to, to, to children and innocent people. And I saw him on the news. And this is when I first started in the prison ministry. And my, I, when I saw him on the news... I'm sure I said it with my outside voice. In fact, I know I did by the people around me. They should castrate him with a hammer. And then next thing I know, you know, I'm preaching. Here's this guy in front of me that is, is being convicted over his own sin, and he's turning to Jesus, and, and now I'm getting right there. I'm given a love for somebody that I had no ability to love. And I'm watching God do something in his life. And, and uh, you know, I'm having to wrestle with all my emotion through that. But, but God's doing stuff. And he, he does this. And it's just amazing to watch. Yeah. yeah. So it sounds like there's a theme that if you step into obedience, 
you experience God in some amazing ways. So hopefully you can calculate that into your cost-benefit analysis here. Because God, you know, he, uh, he, God calls us into scary things, right? I mean, you're, we have prisons for a reason, mm-hmm. right? It's to hold all the people who are a danger to society in some way, right? So, and then you're walking into that. Uh, God calls us to dangerous things. That's a very graphic, tangible example. Um, and you're saying it's worth it. That this thing of experiencing God is, is worth it. I mean, when you, when you see God doing things like that in your heart, go ahead. Yeah, it, that is life. I mean, everything else is existence. When you get to be with the Lord, be with Jesus um, physically, I mean, it, it is tangible. When, when you radically obey Jesus and joining him in the things that scare the pants off of us, um, it's just the most amazing thing is, is being with him. Uh, okay, why do you think, this is their second question, uh, why do you think Jesus calls us to minister to those in prison? Uh, yeah, how has it benefited you to give yourself to this ministry? So you've, you've started to answer some of these questions already, but um, you know, why, why, why would Jesus call a Christian to go into prison ministry? You know, what, what's, what's that about? What is, what is God doing? Yeah. When Don talked about a man that was hurting others, um, generally... Uh, you see the men uh, in that light, and you see the women as the ones being the victims. But in both cases, hurting people hurt people. We've heard that before. That's not new. The hurting people is where we want to start. They've been hurt somewhere. God uh, shows us that peace and in ministering to, uh, with me men a little bit, but mostly obviously the women, um, hearing about the, the abuse and sitting there going, I mean, literally I'm sitting there in my head going, God, what do I do with this? I don't, what do I do with this? How did that happen to her? What did I do? What do I do with that? Uh, and it's that walk with God that then literally gives words and thoughts. And for me, it's scripture because I believe that's where God speaks most strongly. And being able to give that, and sometimes it's a, uh, it's a, 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 a question. Well, what about this? And the question to me as it's coming out, my mouth seems way off track. But instantly, there's oftentimes tears. And so then I'm sitting forward going, wait, wait, I, I miss. So why did that happen? So it's the, the, what's God doing in you through what he is telling? I don't know that I'm making sense, but it's being able to be in the middle of that and hearing God and watching him work, even though I have no clue what's going on. Um, as far as working in the, in, the, in the jails, it's the... Uh, slam of the iron door behind you. It's the, I'm an introvert. Slam of the iron door before you, behind you, and then all these 
people in front of you, and sometimes those stories are graphic and very difficult. And the newsletter that's out front, if you look, the front is a testimony, the back is how to pray for officers and and, uh, chaplains, because we hear stuff that is absolutely horrid. That's not the fun part. The fun part is being able to listen to God and, what are you going to do with this? And then oftentimes it's a prayer. God, please, all this stuff that I don't need to know, will you just wash it out of my head, except for the things that I need to speak? Um, And it's listening to God that and, and having him respond that intimately, that quickly, when I have no clue that's going on. So it's an amazing, and it's not just in the prisons. It's in every, our life is a ministry. And it's every time we meet with somebody and tell them about Jesus, that's the only hope. And so that's where it all needs to come back to. So just because I happen to be behind that iron door, okay, fortunately, I get to do that 40 hours a week. Um, In every life, we have people that we meet with and we've got to have that connection so that we can speak hope. It sounds like what you guys are saying is that as you're going into these things, as you're doing these things, as you're pouring your life out, like uh, maybe the reason Jesus is calling you to do them is actually for your sake, right? I mean, you're, you're helping people, you're loving people, they're getting help, but God is doing this thing in you. And it's such a powerful thing in you that you want to keep doing it. Mm-hmm. Uh, so what do you guys think? Are you in? Yeah? Uh, it may be prison ministry, right? It may be uh, something else, but certainly God is calling you to do something, right? I mean, we know this is how God works. He calls us to do dangerous things, uncomfortable things, difficult things, things where you know, we're going to be awkward, out of our comfort zone, and so on. So um, I present to you Don and Mary Helen as examples of people who have been doing that for a long period of time over the course of their lives. And I don't know, they don't seem to be on drugs or anything like that. They're just, they, they, they seem to continue to be engaged in this. Like this, this is a cool thing, like the best thing to experience God in these ways. Um, so Mary Helen is not funded by uh, the state or some other organization or whatever. Uh, she looks for uh, ministry partners, and by that we mean people who will support uh, her financially. And so I just want to encourage you to consider that. Uh, there's a newsletter out here that you get that includes stories of things that are happening in the prison. Uh, there are some mind-blowing things uh, that go on there. Just incredible stories uh, to read, just the conflict between God and the enemy and victory after victory. Uh, But there's also just, you know, there's some real heartbreak there as you see the advance of of the enemy. So um, how do you, like, how do you maintain your passion? What's the thing? It's like, okay, I've been doing this for a while, but I'm going to get up and do it again. What's... What's the thing that just kind of drives you forward? Well, I could never be a Jeremiah who, you know, he he devoted his life to Jesus in a bigger way than I ever did. Um, 
but I don't see any fruit, you know, and you read the book of Jeremiah. Um, I think God knows that I'm uh, a lot more fragile than that. I need to see fruit. It's like I, I like to go hunting. Levi's a hunter. Uh, um, if I had to provi provide my own sustenance by doing that, I would die. I would starve to death. <laughs> I am not a good hunter. But I have been in a few situations where it's been a target-rich environment, and it, it, just, it just stokes you, okay? Well, prison ministry is one of those places where I get to see a lot of immediate fruit. I've preached, I'm guessing, over 500 times in the prisons, uh, church services. And... Uh, um, I've seen hundreds of people responding to an invitation to um, to repent and turn their life over and follow Jesus. There's two different groups out of those that respond to Jesus that I see. One of them is the ones that do like I did at first, where they, they work really hard. They're diligent, and they're really trying hard, but they're trying to clean up their life and make their their way right. The other group, some of them get it right, just uh, right away. And they just all of a sudden go the right way. In the prison, I get to see what I, what I really love is that so many of the people there do not have God at a comfortable distance. They don't have God in this box that they can really comprehend and that they, you know, they, they, they don't allow him great effect over their life. They want him in their life in order to follow him and bless them and all that stuff, and they'll do what they can for God as they choose. That is a frustrating life. The ones that get it, that's, that's what really lights my fire. I love watching people's lives transform before my eyes and them just devoting themselves to Jesus and living out what God called them to do. And it's amazing. Yeah. Nothing, nothing stokes me more. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I do get weary. I get tired. Um, like Levi said, there's, there's a lot that the enemy um, has opened up in the institution. Uh, if you do nothing else for us, pray. Pray for protection. Um, uh, for the institution, the officers, the staff, the inmates, the chaplains, uh, protection. So, spiritual protection. So, uh, knowing that it's one more yes. I get weary with, oh, it, really, I, it, only, how many times? Only God knows what's going to happen today. Um, it's not like it's a horrible experience. I love doing this, but just one yes. One, one yes to God. One more right step. That's what all of it is. That's how ministry, our, ministry, our ministry starts. One more yes to one opportunity, and it grows that way. And so going in and doing one more. God, do I do this or do I do that? I told the story before, Friday afternoon. Beautiful day. Can I, it's, it's beautiful, I have to write this letter that's out there on the desk. I can do it at home, in my own recliner, with my cup of coffee, in the sunshine. I could do that on my, should I stay here or should I go home? And I was comfortable at work, so I did. A woman came in, and somebody else had been telling her about 
Asatru, and um, a self-proclaimed witch was telling her, this is, you know, this is what Asatru is. If you're not familiar, it's the Norse gods. Um, so we talked about, and this woman was getting ready, she's getting ready to get baptized in two weeks. Well, what do we do with this? So we talked, and by the time she left, we had looked at scripture, and she was, I'm getting rid of these books. I'm going to I'm not going to do this. I'm getting baptized in two weeks. I am following Jesus. I'm not. She was so confident at that moment in her commitment to God. I would have missed it if I'd gone home and sat in my <laughs> easy chair in the sunshine. But it was one question. God, do I stay or do I go? And just those one, one questions at a time and watching that, that wasn't, I told her, it doesn't matter what I say, me in this yellow office. It didn't matter. What does God tell you? Learn to ask God those questions. That's where the uh, benefit is. That's what is looking and seeing what is God going to do today. I'm just going to show up. And if you ask a lot of the sergeants at Highland, just show up. Just show up. Uh, that sounds like a pretty awesome motto for, for uh, experiencing God, right? Just show up when we ask you to show up. Uh, you can you can give uh, to uh, help support uh, Mary Helen through Awaken. Just designate uh, Mary Helen or Prison Ministry. Uh, if you have questions about getting involved yourself, please chat with one of these guys. Uh, let's pray together uh, for Donna, Mary Helen, and uh, for their ministry. Father, thank you for these two who you have raised up to be. Powerful witnesses uh, for your name and for your gospel uh, amongst a group of people that uh, have been humbled and are in a place to hear from you. So I just pray that you uh, would continue to soften hearts and minds and bring people to this place of humility, uh, that you would bless and anoint Don and Mary Helen as they and others go uh, into these uncomfortable and sometimes dangerous situations to share your good news. Uh, we pray that your spirit would fill them, uh, that you would just continue to uh, grow the impact of their lives and their ministry, and that your blessing would be uh, on them in incredible ways. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. So, thanks guys. So my ongoing goal, I think the ongoing goal of the church is to get you to really believe that it is good to trust the Lord with your life. Uh, the psalmist says, taste and see that the Lord is good. So we, we do a lot of trying to get you to taste, try to take a step, try to explore just a little bit because it doesn't take much, right? Jesus says you just need a mustard seed of faith to move mountains, to experience God in an extraordinary way. You just need to step in just a little bit. Just check out one thing. Uh, Dietrich Bonhoeffer, uh, who died at the hands of Hitler, a great uh, Christian in Germany, uh, said, we do not obey because we do not believe. We do not obey because we do not believe. So identified the enemy's 
one of his primary ways of attacking us and keeping us from being obedient by attacking our belief system and tearing it down. So uh, we are going to, over the next uh, several weeks, go through some reasons to believe, like rationale for our faith. Uh, we're going to start, I'm just going to give you a little teaser on the intelligent design piece, which is in my view of things, it's like the initial building block of our faith. So we'll, we'll talk about that just a little bit. But if you would like to, if you've had questions about uh, your own faith, like I've always had problems believing in, I don't know, the virgin birth or, uh, you know, Old Testament prophecies, did they actually come true? Or uh, maybe, you know, some question, you can text me, you can email me, you can find that email on the website, awakenalaska.com. My uh, business card is out here on the counter, you can grab that. And so I would love to hear questions that you have. One, I'd just be interested in what they are. And two, uh, there may be an opportunity for us in the next few weeks to throw an answer in uh, to that question. So uh, please do that if you, if you have questions. Uh, every Saturday, my wife asked me how my sermon prep is going. It is one of our marriage routines. And depending on how I answer, she you know, either likes or doesn't like my answer. And if she doesn't like my answer, she starts to interject herself into uh, the sermon prep process. And so, I don't know if, if, well, the guys in the room who are married, you will understand this right away. Uh, she, you know, interjects herself into my process. In this, in this particular case, as I was explaining what we were doing, what I was talking about, she said, well, you need to remember there are people like me who don't have doubts. I don't spend my time thinking about why I do or don't believe. So I think you should talk a little bit to people like me. So I'm going to do that right now. Uh, first Peter and chapter 3, uh, starting at verse 15. It says, instead, you must worship Christ as Lord of your life. And if someone asks you about your Christian hope, always be ready to explain it. But do this in a gentle and respectful way. So, uh, it's hard to be a direct command uh, from the Bible uh, to be interested in something. Um, in this particular case, it is to have an interest in why you believe so there are, you know, we each have a, a different pathway to God, a way in which we uh, came to Christ or came to faith or a way that we uh, interact with God. You know, maybe it's uh, through nature, maybe it's in, uh, through tradition, maybe it's in our uh, worship piece, just like in a spiritual environment. Uh, maybe it's the intellectual pathway. If it's the intellectual pathway, then the next few weeks are going to be very easy for you. Uh, but everybody else needs to kind of tune in as much as they are able. Uh, because there are some solid reasons why we are Christians. Not just because we feel like being a Christian or not just because we're a Christian traditionally or because we grew up in a family that was Christian. Like there are, there are actual reasons. Like if you started with a blank slate... There are reasons why somebody 
would believe in the things that we believe. And those are the things that we're going to talk about. So uh, let's start with Romans 1. Uh, if you're not familiar with uh, the book of Romans, this is uh, the Apostle Paul basically explaining Christianity. Uh, we call it his systematic theology or the systematic theology of the New Testament. But this is Paul explaining the, new, the, the story, explaining the whole story. And so very early on, uh, chapter 1 and verse 18, he says, But God shows his anger from heaven against all sinful, wicked people who suppress the truth by their wickedness. They know the truth about God because he has made it obvious to them. For ever since the world was created, people have seen the earth and sky. Through everything God made, they can clearly see his invisible qualities, his eternal power and divine nature. So they have no excuse for not knowing God. Uh, this, is, uh, this covers a lot of ground, those verses. covers a lot of objections and critiques that people have. Um, let's say, let's see if I have one up here. Uh, let's try this. I'm going to unplug this guitar, so you might need to mute it. That can go poorly. Um, let's say you walked into the room and you'd, you'd never seen a guitar before. Uh, I'm not going to wear it. But let's say you'd never seen a guitar before and you picked it up or rather somebody picked it up who knew how to play it and they started playing it, you know, doing the thing, they're strumming along. They're changing notes, and they're making music. If that person then, when they got done with their song, if they said, do you know that all of this just happened randomly, like your experience when you came into this room? It happened randomly, and there was no reason for it. There's, there's no reason for this guitar, and it's, it, it exists completely randomly. And nothing made it exist. It just exists because it must exist because there are laws of nature that say that, you know, gravity and cohesion and things like that make other things happen. Would you think that I've missed something? Would you think that there's, a, there's something really obvious that I'm missing as I'm describing that to you? And so what if I, what if I said this? Uh, I'm, I'm guessing what I'm about to tell you is going to make a lot more sense. Do you know that there was once a guy who wanted to create music? And so he sat down with some tools and he made a guitar. And he tested it in different ways and eventually figured out how to have it make music. And uh, there was this other guy who could sing and was good with lyrics. And he came up with a song and we put it together. And so the purpose of this guitar is to make music. Now that makes more sense, doesn't it? The second thing I said. Because we all understand that designed things 
require what? A designer. So, the highest level of thinking these days uh, in terms of you know, physicists, philosophers, uh, chemists, the highest level of thinking these days in all of our sciences uh, that doesn't recognize God, right? We'll call this the, the atheist group. There's the theist. Christians are theists. We, we believe in God. Atheist doesn't believe that God exists. But at the highest level of atheistic thinking, here are the solutions to the design problem. Right? Because we know that intelligence doesn't just occur randomly. There's no example anywhere in the universe or in any physical process or in any chemical process where intelligence randomly occurs. And so this group of atheists, they, they start with a dogmatic assumption. Dogmatic means you refuse to believe anything else. A dogmatic assumption that God cannot exist, that the answer must not be God. And so they start with that assumption, but they see an incredible level of design. And so the solutions that are, after, that are offered are essentially these. Uh, aliens. And I'm not joking. Uh, another more intelligent life form within the universe. They refuse to accept that there would be something outside of the universe or greater than the universe. But they are willing to accept that there is some other intelligent life form out there. Or a multiverse. This is the idea that there is somewhere a universe creating machine that is creating universes endlessly. And so, and so because this universe creating machine has been creating universes endlessly, then ours must exist. Those are the best alternative answers to the Christian view, the theistic view. Christians aren't the only people who believe in God, obviously, or a supernatural creative force. Something like 90% of the world believes that, yes, there must be a designer of some sort, some intelligence up there. Uh, but in the Western world, at the height of academia, there is this group of atheists that is pushing forward the narrative that things can just generate uh, out of nothing uh, without any outside intelligence or power or any of those things. So, there are some great books uh, to read. Uh, I would love for everybody to read uh, the book we have out here on the counter called The Case for a, the, the Case for a Creator. Uh, this is like a primer. It's a Chicago Tribune journalist who interviewed a bunch of experts and uh, put together this uh, pretty easy to understand uh, picture of why we believe 
that God exists, even though he is obviously invisible to us. Uh, then there is another level. There's, a, well, we probably skip about four levels. Uh, there's a book, if you're like a super scientist, you love to nerd out on things like you want to, you, you, you know who Stephen Hawking is, and uh, you want to uh, understand what he was thinking and conclusions that he came to. Uh, then there's another book I would recommend to you uh, by Stephen Meyer, who's a philosopher of science, and uh, it is called The God Hypothesis. Uh, I recommend these two books to you so that you have an answer for why you believe the things that you believe, because God calls us to difficult and dangerous and awkward things. And if we are going to obey, then it's important for us to believe. And the deeper, the more foundationally we, we believe, the more willing we are to step into obedience, the things that God is calling us into. So I think it's important for us to understand these things, especially in our culture, in our workplaces, for example. I'm sure there are people around you who don't believe in God. And they can make, it, can, it can make us feel like we're the ones who are crazy because we believe in an invisible God. But uh, I find that as I start thinking realistically about the world, and as I start investigating how things actually are, I find that there is a mountain of evidence a mountain of evidence that makes for me faith inescapable. If I want to be intellectually honest, if I want to be honest about the evidence that is there, right? Romans 1, 18 through 20. God says, look, the reason I am bringing judgment, the reason that there are consequences is because I have made myself obvious. Right? I have revealed myself, my qualities in ways that can be clearly seen. Right? The enemy in our culture is, is trying to convince us, people of faith, that we are, we are blind. And that we are searching for something in the dark. And because we come to places where we can't explain things, we, in weakness, claim that there is a God. That is what culture wants us to believe about our faith, but that is so far from the truth. We believe because the mountain of evidence is insurmountable, because it is impossible for us to escape. So, that is what I'm hoping over the next several weeks uh, to present to you, a mountain of evidence. Because the enemy is a great deceiver. The enemy is highly skilled and very powerful, very good at deceiving us. And so it is important for us to be deeply rooted, deeply rooted in our faith and to have a reason for why. We believe. Please join me in prayer. Father, thank you for this uh, 
incredible day. Thank you for Don and Mary Helen and their lives, their examples. Uh, for other people in our congregation that lead inspiring lives. Father, I pray that you would help us all do this thing of trusting you fully uh, with our lives so that we might experience you and see that it is far better to spend one day in your presence than a thousand elsewhere. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. I'm going to count that as the benediction today. So you're dismissed. Have a wonderful week. Uh, we'll see you next week, if not before.